are listening to Truth, a six-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series looks at the book of Titus to explain how truth is lived out within the church community. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. When I was 17 years old, I was texting and driving. That's how you drive when you're 17, you just drive like this. I was texting and driving, and I rear-ended a pickup truck going 50 miles an hour that was parked at a stoplight. Uh, my phone went through to the windshield, shattered, uh, and my first thought was, I'm going to get busted for texting and driving, and I'm going to go to you know, jail or whatever for this. And so I scraped up my phone, got my phone together, put it in my pocket, and noticed that my driver window was rolled down. And so uh, thankfully, my car was completely totaled, couldn't open my door. I could crawl out of my driver window. So I crawled out of my driver window, uh, went up to the man who I had just rear-ended, who was parked at a stoplight when I was going 50 miles an hour. And I said, hey, man, you okay? He was okay. Not that happy, surprisingly. He wasn't happy to uh, see me, but he was okay. And uh, I, th- I look back on that, and I'm thankful that I lived through that. Um, ha- have text and drive since then, but shouldn't do that. And uh, this weekend, I was driving home from a trip, Memorial Day weekend. I uh, went to see my family. I was driving home, and I was merging onto I-70. If you've ever been on Interstate 70, it, don't ever be on Interstate 70 because people, it's like there's a curse on Interstate 70 and people just lose their minds when they get on this highway. And uh, people are driving like crazy, weaving in and out, cutting me off. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like, what's wrong with the world today? And uh, I'm literally merging onto the highway and this guy is in the left lane. There's two lanes on Interstate 70. It should be four, but there's two. And this guy is in the left lane. I'm merging into the right lane. And he decides as I'm merging in to merge, to, to turn into the right lane. And so he cuts me off. And I'm literally like going down the highway, running out of road. Like, bro, I got to get on the highway. Barely make it on. Get on. And I said to my wife, I was like, this dude doesn't know how to drive. What's wrong with him? Like, you don't, mer- you don't turn right when someone's merging on. And then I remembered. I remembered what I did when I was 17. And all of a sudden, I had no justification to be mad at this guy. Because what I did was way worse, right? Like, I'm texting and driving around a guy who's parked at a stoplight, and he just makes a little turn into the wrong lane. It's easy for us to judge people when we think that we're pretty good. But when we realize that what we've done in our life is uh, so much more, at least equal to anything anyone could ever do to us, it becomes hard to point the finger. That's the whole thing that Jesus talks about when he says, hey, before you try and get that speck out of your brother's eye, why don't you take the log out of your own eye? And these Christians in Crete, they're doing just that. They are getting on their high horse, they're getting all high and mighty, and they're pointing the finger at other people, and they're cursing other people and calling people evil and all this stuff. And the Apostle Paul comes in and he's like, hey, guys, uh, I just want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that like, there was a day not too long ago when you were just like them. And... Uh, He talks to them about their speech. And, you know, Brian talked about this last week, so I'm not going to get too much into our speech. And he talks about not only not to speak like that, but really what he goes into, which I'm going to get in today, is why we shouldn't speak like that about other people. And surprisingly enough, the uh, worst thing that happens to us and other people when we speak negatively of other people like that isn't what it does to them, isn't how it makes them feel, although I'm sure it doesn't make them feel good. It isn't even the pride that it causes in our own hearts to make us think that we're better than other people. The worst thing that happens when we speak evil of other people, when we cut other people down, when we're full of malice and envy, which we'll get into here in just a minute, the worst thing that happens is it causes us to forget the glory of the gospel. It causes us to forget what Christ has done for us, what Christ has done in us, what Christ intends to do through us. The gospel, which means good news, it's first bad news, actually. 
the gospel, which means good news, begins with bad news. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God, I thought I was awesome. Like, God, I thought I was like your gift to the world. I thought I was awesome. No, no, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't know if you're here this morning, but if you're in the all category, which I think that we all are, it means that we've all fallen short. And so we're not awesome up here. We're not even good here. We're like, we've fallen short. We're at the bottom of the barrel. If it, I've said this before, but if there were a ladder and like Mother Teresa were up here and Adolf Hitler were down here and I asked the question, you know, what is good? Who's good? Then, you know, you may say, well, Mother Teresa's good. Adolf Hitler's not good. And I said, well, where are you on the ladder, you may put yourself somewhere in the middle. But when Jesus comes in, Jesus uh, takes the Ten Commandments, which is, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. He comes in and he's like, hey, don't commit adultery, but also don't lust after a woman in your heart. If you lust after a woman in your heart, it's the same as if you've committed adultery. I, you know, the law says don't murder, but actually don't be angry with your brother in your heart. If you are angry with your brother in your heart, you've already murdered him in your heart. Uh, don't steal, but also if you, if you just covet, if you just covet your neighbor's things, you're like, oh, I wish I had that. Like, God, why didn't you give me that? You've already done that in your heart. And so he takes the law, which is the standard for us, and he elevates it, and he's like, no, no, you don't get it. It's so much more than that. You think you're good, but you're not even close. You, you've been focused on your external actions, but it's so much more about what's going on under the hood. You know what? Religious people hated Jesus. The church people, it should be a warning to us, the church people hated Jesus. It was the people whose lives were all jacked up that we're all like, man, I can't believe they're still doing that. It was those people who loved Jesus. It was the people that Christians so often judge and condemn that actually loved Jesus. And here's why. It's because Jesus put us all in the same boat. And he called us all sinners. He said that we all deserve to be punished for our sin and that we all need the mercy and grace of God. He put us all in the same boat. Boat. There's not like a boat with good people and a, a boat with bad people, and good people go here and bad people go here. No, there's a boat, one boat. It's all bad people, and we all go to the same place without Jesus. He put us all in the same boat, and here's the deal. When you think that uh, you're awesome, it's really hard to hear that message. It's really hard to hear the message of you're all sinners, and, and you all need grace. We all need grace when you think you're really awesome, but when you Look at your life and you're like, man, I've jacked up. Like, I slept around, I did drugs, I have been prideful, I've been arrogant, I've done things that I shouldn't do, I've thought things that I shouldn't think. Like, I, you, you know what, God, you're right. Like, you're right. I deserve what I'm getting in life. When you're in that place, it's really easy to receive the gospel because you're like, oh my God, someone wants to show me mercy? Like, I need mercy. I, I, someone wants to save me? I, I need saved. And so when Jesus came, the, the prostitutes, the sinners, the thieves, they love Jesus because he came saying, yeah, if you, if you come and follow me and surrender to me, I'll give you life, I'll forgive you, I'll wash you clean. There's the woman who comes at Jesus' feet, the prostitute, and she's weeping over Jesus' feet, washing his feet with her hair. Why? Because she's in love. Why is she in love? Because she's been forgiven so much. Now, here's the thing. She didn't need forgiven more than all of us. She just recognized how much she had been forgiven, and she fell in love. The gospel causes you to fall in love with Jesus when you realize how much he has done for us. The more we understand the gospel, I'm going to show you this graph. The more we understand the gospel, the more we'll understand how holy God is and how sinful and jacked up we are. 
the more we understand the gospel, the more we'll understand that God is the perfect, loving, creative God who, who in his holiness is set apart, that he's nothing like us, that he's never sinned, he's never thought a sinful thought, he's only been good and benevolent and loving, he is perfect in all of his ways. His ways are higher than our ways. The more we understand the gospel, the more we understand all of that, and the more we understand the gospel, the more we understand that the, the pride in our heart, the arrogance in our lives, the, even the little, little sins in our lives are actually a big deal to God. When you, when you put his perfection next to our imperfection, we realize how much of a difference there is. And the more we understand the gospel, what, it, what it's meant to do to us is not condemn us because he's so holy or make us uh, just feel awful because we're so sinful. It's meant to make us stand in awe of the cross, in awe of the grace and mercy of God, that, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be called the righteousness of God, that we could have right standing, that we could be forgiven of our sins. That's why Paul's like, guys, you're going off on everybody else. Like, you're going off on your neighbor because their music's too loud and they drink too much. I can't believe they're like that. And you're going off on your cousin because he still does drugs or your your sister because, like, I can't believe she raised her kids like that. Or you're going off on whoever it is in your head that you're judging and we're pointing the finger at. And Paul's like, guys, guys, do you remember that we were like this just not too long ago? We ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. He says we're foolish. We didn't think like Christ. We thought like fools. We didn't think with the fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord or the foundation of all wisdom. So the wisest person in the world isn't the greatest entrepreneur, it isn't the, the person who writes all the philosophy books, it isn't the, the, the person who even writes all the books about how God couldn't exist and blah, 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 that, that person's a fool. The wisest person is the, in the world is the person who is on their knees the most. The wisest person in the world is the one who fears God the most in their lives. It means we can all be wise. They didn't, we didn't fear God. We were disobedient. We did whatever we wanted. We said whatever we thought, whatever we felt. You remember that? Remember when we used to do those things? For those of us who became Christ, uh, be, you know, at a point when we can actually remember what life was like before Christ, you remember what we were like before him? Remember when we were arrogant? We thought we didn't need God in our lives, and we were kind of just doing our own thing. For those of us who became Christ at an early age, just imagine what your life would have been like without Christ. Like, maybe you don't have the the experience of knowing what it's like to be without Jesus, just maybe imagine for a little bit what it would be like to not have heard about the gospel at such an early age and not trusted in Christ at such an early age. Imagine how far you could have gone. Imagine how dark you could have become. It's meant to humble us in the grace of God. We were foolish and disobedient. We were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. On the one hand, we did whatever we wanted to do, and we made decisions that caused us to walk away from God. On the other hand, we belonged to someone. We were slaves to someone who was ruling and dictating our lives. Here's a fact that none of us are free to just do whatever we want. We belong either to God or we belong to someone who wants to kill and destroy us. His name starts with S and it ends with Aten. It's we belong to one or the other. We, there's no middle ground. There's no, I don't belong to anyone. I'm my own person. There's no, I'm free to do whatever I want, whatever I think. We belong in light or we belong in darkness. And when we open our life by disobeying God to evil and everything that comes with that, we turn our hearts away 
from God. It's the same thing Paul says in Romans 6, 16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. When we belong to God, we do the things that God loves. When we belong to Satan, we do the things that he loves. And these Christians in Crete were turning back to their old ways. They were beginning to do things that you do when you follow the evil one, not things you do when you follow God. They were turning back to their old ways. They were becoming arrogant in their hearts. They were becoming filled with malice and envy, which are two really ugly twins. Malice is hatred towards others. Malice is wishing evil on other people. Envy is uh, resenting and coveting their good. So malice is wishing evil on them. Envy is resenting them and coveting anything good that happens in their life. Before I was a Christian, I remember my heart was just filled with hatred towards a lot of people. I uh, would walk around just mean mugging, you know, just like, oh man, tell you something. You know, like that was, that's, uh, before I met Christ, that's, my wife still, I still, that's still in me a little bit. My wife still tells me sometimes, like, Dylan, don't just stare at that guy, like, smile. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, punk him anymore. I just, I forget to smile sometimes. It's an old way that I need to kick. And I, I walked away, and I remember uh, I became a Christian in high school. I remember walking around in high school just, like, thinking, I want to fight somebody. Like, I, and I'd see that someone, I, I hate that guy. And uh, I said some things about family members that I really regret that, uh, were really terrible things to say about them. I, I said things behind people's back that were even worse. Uh, that was malice. Envy is a little different. Envy is like a form of self-hatred that pours out on other people. Envy is usually a, a form of bitterness. Envy uh, is, is me seeing what's happening in your life, and it's good, and because I hate my own life, and I'm disappointed about where my own life has gone and the place that I'm in, I just feel angry that good things are happening to other people, uh, which is in a lot of our hearts that we don't like to admit, you know, and that's why every time someone uh, gets married or gets pregnant or has a kid or then, then their kids are successful or, or they're successful, their career's going up and yours is going down, you just feel like, oh, I hate that that's happening to them. We don't like to admit that this is in our hearts because then that would mean that, you know, we were in that evil, bad category, but it's there and it's, it's in our hearts and it happens to us all the time. And we try and cover it up, which is why we, we may even like like their posts. You know, we're like, oh, I'm so happy for you, so great. And inside we're like, oh, I wish that was me. That's envy. So you hate others and they hate you. You may not have realized this before you came to Christ. Um, some of us are Christians and we still have some of these old patterns. And so this may still be the case. But when we act like this, uh, not only do we hate other people, but they hate us too. Uh, they may fake it and we may fake it, but there's a lot of hatred under the hood, and, and that, in essence, is the world without Jesus. The world without Jesus is a world filled with hatred, filled with darkness. And it makes sense, because when you think about God being the benevolent, loving, kind God that he is, imagine the sun, like God is the, the not like S-O-N, but S-U-N. Imagine God for a moment, represent, the sun represents God, you know, all the light and pours life into the world. So, so the sun represents God. When we turn towards the sun, we turn towards the light. We turn towards what is good and loving and kind and gives us life. When we turn away from the sun, we turn away from what is good and loving and kind. When you turn towards the sun, there's light. When you turn away from the sun, there's darkness. When you turn towards God, it's good and life and blessing. When you turn away from God, it is evil and darkness and pain. It makes sense that there would be all this hatred in the world. A world without Jesus is a world filled with anger, and we're experiencing it 
London this week has been, the last couple weeks has been experiencing just that. They've been getting a taste of a world where people's hearts are far from God and their hearts are filled with hatred. And a few people whose hearts were filled with hatred have destroyed a lot of lives. Uh, St. Louis, we've gotten a taste of it this weekend. There were multiple shootings this last week in St. Louis. We've gotten a taste of what the world is like when people turn their hearts from God and their hearts get filled with hatred and they take that hatred out on others. A life separate from God is a, a life filled with hatred and darkness. And God doesn't look on our situation, he doesn't look on our world and stand back and say, you know what, I'll leave them to their own devices, I'll let them just take it out on each other and just destroy each other and then I'll start over again. That's not what he did. As a matter of fact, a lot of rain has been happening this summer, I don't know if you know this, but every time it rains and you see a rainbow, a rainbow is actually a prophetic promise from God that he will never flood the world again. Old Testament tells us that. Every time you see a rainbow, it's God saying, I I, I wiped out the world once, but I'm not going to do it again because I've sent my son to rescue the world. I've sent my son to save the world. Instead of wiping them out and starting over, I've sent my son to give them life and life abundantly. He's the redemptive plan now. And so God's not going to wipe the world out. He doesn't look on our world and say, I'll just leave them to their own devices. Instead, God looks on our world and he sends his son. He looks on our world and he sends his one and only beloved son to die on a cross, to take our place to take the place of the sins of the world. On the cross, when Jesus hung, he bore the full weight of our sins. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, he was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was crushed. He was tormented. He was beaten. He was hung on a cross for your sins and my sins. This this passage reminds me so much of Ephesians chapter 2, the difference between the dark and the light. I'll read it for you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." God bless you, see you later, right? I mean, we'll just end there. Like, so depressing. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind, dead in our sins. This is one of the bleakest pictures you see in the Bible of the state of humanity, and it's accurate. It's accurate for everyone who has not yet called the name of Jesus. It's a terrible situation. There's no hope in the first three verses. Verse four, uh, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible, by far the two most amazing words in the Bible. Verse 4, but God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then he goes on and on and on. Let me ask you this. Who's the source of our salvation? Is it us? Is it our good works? Is it how good we are, how loving we are, how obedient we are? Is it how awesome? No. The source of our salvation is the love of God in Christ. The love of God in Christ is the source, and the spring from which our salvation flows is the mercy of God. The mercy of God is the spring from which this salvation flows, this this rescuing, this deliverance for us from our darkness and our wickedness. This deliverance comes only through Christ. It's the ground on which we stand. It's the only ground on which we stand. Try and stand on our good works, it doesn't work, but if we stand on Christ, it works. Mercy, it simply means that we don't get what we do deserve. 
Uh, if I owned a BMW, which I don't, but if I did, and I drove out of here today with my BMW, and you and your rusted out pickup truck uh, were driving down King's Highway, and you just slammed into my BMW, and $20,000 worth of damage were caused by my BMW, and you got out of your pickup truck, and you're like, hey, man, sorry about that. Uh, you know, how much do I owe you? And I was like, bro, you owe me 20 grand. Uh, write the check. And you wrote me the check, and I took the check, and I ripped the check up, and I said, you know what, I'm going to let you off the hook. Have a good day. That's mercy. I didn't give what you did deserve. Mercy just means we don't get what we do deserve. On the cross, Jesus showed us mercy. He took what we deserved so that we wouldn't get it. The grace of God is we, don't get, we, we get what we don't deserve. So mercy is we don't get punishment for our sins. Grace is we get everything, every blessing, every good thing that comes to Christ comes to us because we're hidden in him. Verse 5, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Sometimes you hear people talk about salvation, and they use this illustration. They're like, you know, salvation, being saved, being in Christ, it's like being in the middle of an ocean, and you're drowning, and here comes this boat, and it's God, and God in this boat, he, he throws this life raft out, which is Jesus, and if, if you just grab onto the life raft, Jesus will save you. God will reel you in, and you'll be with him forever, and it, some of that, a lot of that is true. But the, the thing that's not true is it's, it's not an accurate description of the situation that we're in. But, you know, Ephesians 2, it says we're dead in our sins. It doesn't say we're in the middle of the ocean drowning. We're not in life just drowning and struggling. We need a crutch. We need someone to help us. It's not what it says. It says we're dead. I don't know even. I've never seen a dead person reach out for help. Maybe like the walking dead, you know, like, but, but I've never seen a dead person reach out for help. Dead people are dead. So if you use that illustration, we're not... Uh, drowning, we're at the bottom of the ocean dead, like a chain around our ankle stuck. We can't get out. We can't help ourselves. We can't try and swim. We can't try and grow. Jesus comes to us, and he makes us alive. What we need is not some help. What we need is a resurrection, and a resurrection is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what Paul talks about when he says, you've been regenerated, and the Holy Spirit has been poured out on you. I remember the day when I uh, made the decision to come to Christ. I was at an uh, evangelical church at the back of the church, and the pastor made this appeal. He says, if you've never trusted in Christ, raise your hand as a confession of your faith today. And I was like, man, I think this is the day for me. And he, you know, he did it a few times, and I was just like, I don't know. Like, I, my, you know, I had some friends that were there that I was embarrassed to do this in front of. Like, ah, do I really want to like, admit that I'm not even there yet? And uh, I just felt God stirring me to, like, moving me to do this. And so I raised my hand. I was like, yeah, I want to become a Christian today. And he, and he tricked me. He was like, all right, if you raised your hand, uh, then come forward. And I was like, oh, man, like, I got to do this. And, but I felt like God was really doing something in my heart. And so I raised my hand, and I was like, all right, I'm going forward. And it felt like my feet were in, like, 10 pounds of concrete. But that first step, once that first step came, I knew, like, okay, God is in this. This is good. And I began to feel, like, I don't know how to describe it, but I began to feel the presence of God. I began to experience the love of God coming into my life as I made that step to say yes to him. And I walked to the front of this church, and they had a stage like this. And we get to the front, you know, I don't, I don't remember, at least a couple of the people up there. I kind of lose memory after this. But uh, come to the front of the church, and he's like, if you're up here, kneel down. I mean, he's really like one step at a time getting us, you know. So I was like, all right, I'm in this. I'm, I'm like in. I can't walk back now. And so I kneeled down. And the moment I kneeled down, it was just the flood of the love of God in my life. 
I just, I knew that 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 God loved me. And I was weeping and crying and just like, man, God, like I've never encountered anything like this in my life. What happened to me on that day, I was spiritually dead when I showed up at that church. But when I left, I was spiritually alive. Why? Because Christ came into my life. Christ saved me. Christ resurrected me. If you're here today and that's never happened, you've never been resurrected by Jesus Christ. The, The main thing today, the whole point of all of this is that, Every single one of us would walk out of here today having been resurrected by Jesus Christ. Those of us that have already been resurrected, that we would walk out remembering we've been resurrected by Jesus Christ. His grace is amazing. Therefore, let us live in light of his grace. If you're here and you've never taken that step, you've never trusted Christ and let him enter in and take control of your entire life, forgiving you of your sins and making you a new person. I just want to make that invitation to you today. Like today can be the day that you know my sins are forgiven, I have a home in heaven, Jesus is my king, I'm spending the rest of my life following him. Today can be that day for you. At the end, we'll make that a a practical opportunity for you. Going on in the passage here, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You ever had someone give you a gift, uh, but there was a gift within the gift? So like they... uh, you know, maybe you're, you've got kids and someone brings you a gift certificate to a nice restaurant. If this ever happened to you, I'm sorry. Like, someone should find you after today and do this. But someone gives you a gift certificate to a nice restaurant and they're like, hey, enjoy a meal on me. And by the way, it's not just the meal, but I'm also going to watch your kids for free. Uh, it's a gift within the gift. Or someone gives you like a, a nice coffee mug for Christmas. You're like, oh, it's sweet. And they're like, look in the mug. And you look in the mug and there's like a $30 Starbucks gift card. It's a gift within the gift. Or, sorry, husbands, you're going to hate me after I do this, but say, like, you write your, you bring flowers home to your wife, and uh, with the flowers, there's a note, and w- inside the note, it says, I want to take you out for dinner, and you go to dinner, and you sit down, and there's another note telling you how much he loves you, and, and then when you finish the other note, you look up, and there's, like, diamond earrings, you know, in a box, and <laughs> you're just like, oh, my, it's just a gift, and then a gift, and then a gift. I'm sorry, husbands, I know, I just set everyone up for failure, but. I've never done that either, so (laughs) we're all in the same boat. (laughs) I think that's kind of what Paul's doing here. I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's like, hey, Titus, just in case it wasn't enough that God in his mercy and goodness, like you were all messed up, you were all in this boat of destruction, that God sent his son for you, and this son of his lived this perfect life and died your death. Not only did he die your death, but he, he rose from the dead. Not only did he rise from the dead, but he promises if you trust in his name, he's going to forgive you of your sins. Not only that, he's going to give you a home in heaven, and you're going to be with him forever. Paul's like, not only all that, but also your sons of God. You're sons of God, which is the most amazing thing. And it's like the gift within the gift within the gift. And at the end, it's like the best gift. Being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The most amazing thing about the gospel is that we get to become children of God. That God becomes our father, our papa, our daddy, our Abba. That we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, get to pray, Abba, Father, Daddy. That the God who created it all becomes our daddy, our father, who loves us, who's always good to us, who, who takes everything bad that ever happens in our life and works it for our good. 
who comes to us when we scrape our knee and just gives us a massive hug, who at Revelation 21, I think it's verse 3, says that he, on that last day when he makes a new heaven and a new earth, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. God becomes our dad. Uh, Jordan and Lissy, uh, Lissy led worship this morning. Jordan did, did announcements. Uh, Jordan's on staff, does a lot of stuff with the church. Uh, they're in the process of adopting. They have been working hard and doing all this stuff to get ready to adopt this child. And, uh, you know, Heather shared a few months back about, like, she works with adoption in the city, and there's a lot of families who are considering, should we adopt right now? And uh, when you think about adoption, adoption is this beautiful thing where this family who doesn't have to, doesn't need to, no one's forcing their hand, uh, makes this decision that because uh, they see these children, they love these children so much that they want to give themselves and their family for the sake of this child having a home and a place with them. Child is, uh, adoption is a, a beautiful thing. And I think most of us, when we think about adoption, if we were to think about it long enough, we'd just begin to weep because of how beautiful it is. And adoption is just a picture of something even more beautiful. Adoption for children in this life with families uh, here is just a picture of something even more beautiful that God, in his love for us, adopts us as his children. Uh, that we have been spiritually adopted. That's why adoption is so beautiful, is because it's an expression of the heart of God. The gospel is beautiful, and it's meant to produce beauty in our lives, but also through our lives. One of the greatest complaints against Christians today is that we're hypocritical, that we say one thing and do another thing, that we preach a message, which is this man who showed such love and loved people to such extremes that he gave his life for him, and then we walk around all arrogant, judging other people's life and just pointing the finger and not really doing anything to show them the love of Christ. Unfortunately, that judgment on the church is oftentimes true. Oftentimes, we are those uh, prideful Christians who walk around just judging other people's lives and not really showing them the love of Christ, which is why uh, Paul finishes this passage after having talked about the beauty and wonder of the gospel with a command. He says, in light of all this, you need to do something with it. And he insists that believers be careful to devote themselves to good works. It's verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. Now I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Notice he doesn't put the cart before the horse. He's not like, hey, do a bunch of good, 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 and then God will love you. He doesn't go that route. He doesn't put the cart before the horse. He says the gospel is beautiful, wonderful. We can only stand on the ground of the mercy of God, but in light of everything God has done for us, once we have received him, once we have been transformed by his grace, the, the appropriate result is that we would do good. The appropriate result is that we, after we receive Christ, that we would be like Christ to other people. It's just like Jesus said, you know, a tree, uh, you, you know a tree by its fruit. So if you tell me that's an apple tree, I should expect to see apples. If you tell me it's a Christian, I should expect to see Christ. And here's what we have in our Western culture today. We have Christians who are all about the truth. They love to study the truth and debate the truth and split hairs over the truth, and they get in all these arguments about the truth. They, they love studying their Bibles and reading commentaries and, and study, 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 and they love telling you what they think about the Bible and about truth, but they don't do anything. Like, it's just word, 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 word. It's just word. There's no deed. There's no good that comes out of it. It's just 
filling their head with knowledge that puffs up instead of love that builds up. But then you have Christians who are all deed Christians. They uh, serve the poor and they seek to help widows and orphans have a home. They, they do all these good things. They're working for social justice, but that is all it is. They don't know their Bibles. They don't know the gospel. They're, they're not taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people they're serving. It's just good works, which, you know, the goal isn't just to get people out of poverty. It's to get people into life in Christ. It's not just to get people off the streets. It's to get people into the kingdom of God. It needs to be word and deed. It needs to be loving and blessing and serving and looking like Christ and showing the love of Christ and then leading to Christ who is the ultimate love, who will do them the most good, the most love, the most care. It's got to be word and deed, and Paul's passionate about that. He wants word and deed Christians. He wants word and deed churches. That's the kind of church that we're trying to be. That's why we do things every year like the Christmas store where, uh, you know, we've got the school across the street where there's some uh, families who maybe wouldn't be able to put on Christmas for their kids otherwise, and every Christmas we put on a store, and we're like, hey, man, you can come and buy gifts for your kids for 10% of the original cost. It's Christmas with dignity so that your kids can still have Christmas, and you don't have to feel like you're getting a handout, and, you know, it's why... Every Saturday morning, there's a food pantry hosted in our basement just under this room that 100-plus people from many different nations in this surrounding neighborhood come and just get food to help them get through the week. It's why we're doing this summer camp for kids. You know, we, we see these kids in local elementary schools, and we see not only them but their entire families. We're like, man, these, we want these kids to know that the, the Christians in this city, they care like, we're not just removed and distant and far off, and we're not just doing a Sunday service, but we care. Like, we love you, we love your kids, and we're not just trying to, like, convert them, but we really want them to know the love of God. And so we're just going to, like, have fun with them and show them a good time and, like, teach them how to play sports and do arts and crafts, and maybe by the grace of God we'll get to share Christ. It's why we're doing things like this. We have so, so far to go, so far to go. And there's people throughout this church doing things I don't even know about. And the goal of all those things is not just to feel good about ourselves. It's not to be uh, just like the stripes on the side of a race car. You know, it looks pretty, but it doesn't really do anything. The goal of all that is to spread abroad the love of Christ in our city. It's to be word and deed Christians. But to be word and deed Christians, it starts with us being centered on the gospel, which is why that is exactly where the Apostle Paul starts. For us to have this kind of life, we have to have this kind of faith in the gospel. And it starts with us knowing the gospel and loving the gospel ourselves. And I just, I wonder for each of us, like how it would be different in our lives if what we did, the first thing we woke up every morning was preach the gospel to ourselves. It's like the first 90 seconds of every day was, I'm in Christ. He loves me. It's the mercy of God I'm waking up to today. Like he's forgiven me. He's given me a new life in him and he's prepared good works for me to do. What would your day be like? If you started every day like that, like the first words out of your mouth, you, you know, you hit the go button on the coffee pot, and then you were like, all right, 30 to 90 seconds of just gospel. What would your day be like? How would it change your mindset? How would it change your thankfulness? How would it change the way you interacted with other people, how you saw opportunities? If we started with the gospel. And then not only that, but what if, like, while we were going through our day at work and seeing our neighbors and getting in our car, and all, what if we just prayed? Holy Spirit, show me the good works that you've prepared for me to do today. And then when he showed them to us, like when we saw that opportunity, we weren't just like, oh, I'm too busy. But when we saw that opportunity, we actually stopped. 
and we obeyed the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and we did what he was telling us to do. Like, how many doors would open if we all did that? And what would our church be like if we all did that? Like, I just imagine community group, you know, when we show up, and it's like, hey, how was your week? And it's like, I got to share the gospel with someone. Or I got to, like, love on this woman who lost her husband 10 years ago. Or, man, I got to, like, mow my neighbor's lawn. It was amazing. Or, man, I got to, like, just be with these kids and, like, teach them how to read. And, like, it was a, I loved my week because I got to be a blessing. And not only that, but I woke up every morning and I preached the gospel to myself. And my heart was centered. I didn't get tossed around by everything life was throwing at me, but I was centered on Christ. I wonder how it would change our church. Like, what would become the reputation of Christianity in St. Louis if all Christians, specifically those of us in this room, if we did this? How would it change the reputation of Christ in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods? Just imagine what God could do through us.